We are finishing out the book of Acts, so everybody turn with me to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. This is the very last chapter in the book of Acts. And tonight the title of our Bible study is, I Feel Like God Has Abandoned Me. I feel like God has abandoned me. If you're taking notes, you can write that title down. And I'm going to summarize chapter 27 for us and then catch us up to speed and we'll start reading in chapter 28. But first, while you're making your way there to Acts chapter 28, let's pray and let's commit our Bible study to the Lord tonight. God, we are so thankful to be here and we just now take a quick brief moment to commit our Bible study to you, Lord. Soften our hearts right now, God. Open up our hearts to hear from you. I pray if we brought anything into young adults tonight that's really been overwhelming or maybe it's been distracting us or it's just been burdensome, I pray that you would remove that burden, that you would carry it for us so that we're able just to focus on you and seek you, to look to you and invite you into our time together tonight. Pray that as we close the book of Acts and we head into our next series next Monday, that all of it's your word, Lord. So I pray that you would not allow it to return void, that it would accomplish the purposes by which it is sent, Lord. Do whatever you will tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Have you ever been on a trip, maybe a vacation or maybe a road trip, and the trip has gone progressively worse. Like it started out in your mind, like this is going to be awesome. This is going to be really fun. This is going to be an amazing time. And then it didn't meet the expectations at all. You had specific expectations for your travels and then it just got progressively worse. I think I shared this story a few months ago, so I'll just give you the cliff notes. That happened to me when I was 10 and I will never forget it. It was a trip, um, a, a Just a quick little family trip to D.C. with the Schroeders. And many of you know Pastor Kelly. Pastor Kelly Schroeder is on staff. And my family has known Pastor Kelly for years. And so I'm about 10 years old at the time, and he has two daughters about my age. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And so Pastor Kelly had two daughters around um, the Hamrick kids' age. And so Pastor Kelly said, hey, let's take the Hamrick kids and the Schroeder kids. Let's make a quick trip up to D.C. Well, quick story. Um, long story short, really, I, I became very carsick on our travels up to D.C., and I threw up all over the car, all over myself. I mean, it was so bad, Pastor Kelly had to sell his van. That's how bad it was. So it was all over me, all over my shirt, and everything. And so, remember, I said, Pastor Kelly only has two daughters. So we get to D.C., and I have, I'm covered in my own puke. And he says, Austin, I don't, I don't have anything for you except this purple sweatshirt with teddy bears and flowers on it. This is what you're going to have to wear. So I'm 10 and I'm walking through DC looking at all the monuments wearing a purple teddy bear sweatshirt with flowers on it. And I know people are looking at me thinking this boy is confused. But I just, I just had to do it. I just had to bear it for that day. And so that was a trip that was like, hey, a family fun little trip with Pastor Kelly and the family will go up to DC, see all the monuments. When you're 10, that was like really awesome, right? And it still is pretty cool. But For us who live close to D.C., we kind of like take it for granted, right? But when you're 10 and you're just going through D.C., it's like, this is an awesome trip. And it just progressively got worse. Just did not enjoy the rest of the trip in my teddy bear sweatshirt. Paul, he has these expectations. He's supposed to get to Rome. This was the 
apex of Paul's missionary travels. He wanted to get to the city of Rome, the capital city of Rome. And he had certain expectations, I'm sure, for how he was going to get there, but it progressively gets worse. And I'm just going to summarize with a few bullet points a summary of chapter 27. Paul gets on a ship, travels to Rome, and this is chapter 27 in a nutshell, how that trip ends up going. So he sets sail for Rome, Italy, and he's a prisoner on board, okay? There's many others. The Bible says there's over 200 people also traveling with Paul as prisoners voyaging to the city of Rome. Verse 4 of 27 says there are rough winds. Verse 6 says they have to stop and change ships. They have to, um, they, the, the ship slows down. It's difficult travels. They make another stop in verse 7 again. Verse 9 says it's dangerous sailing. Verse 12 says it's winter. Okay, so just put yourself in Paul's toga for just a moment. It's cold. It's winter time. The ship is stuck in the winds, verse 15. Verse 16 says they stopped again. Verse 18 says they were tossed by the winds, so they had to throw things overboard. They tossed more overboard in verse 19. And then verse 20 and 21, it says that they couldn't see the sun or the stars any longer. And the ship lost all hope. And really, they lost all hope. When you can't see the sun and stars, remember, in ancient times, they used, and still, I guess, pirates today um, use the sun and the, the stars as navigational indicators. And so, when the Bible says in verse 20 that they couldn't see the stars any longer, they basically have no idea where they are. And the Bible says that they all lose hope. So, this... This is how Paul journeys and travels to Rome. This is what this this looks like. Now, I want you for a moment, again, just to put your feet in Paul's sandals and, and think, if I'm Paul, do I at this point begin to feel like God has forgotten me? Like God has abandoned me? I mean, I probably would. It's easy to really read chapter 27 and go through this list and think it's not that bad. But if you put yourself in that scenario, having to change ships a few times, it's difficult travels, it's cold, it's winter, the wind is difficult. You lose all hope because you have nowhere you are, you have no idea where you are in the middle of the sea because you've lost your navigational indicators. Yeah, you would begin to feel like, God, What in the world is your purpose for my life? And some of you might feel like that tonight. I don't know what you've brought into young adults tonight, but maybe some of you because of a difficult situation in your life. Or maybe you have loved ones who are sick, or maybe you yourself are struggling with different health issues, or things at work are not living up to what you expected. I don't know what might be plaguing you right now, but... It can be tempting for us to begin to feel like God God doesn't care. God's abandoned me. God doesn't see where I am. I wonder if Paul felt that way for even just a moment. But I want to just encourage you that God has not left you. The Bible says that God is compassionate toward all he has made. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that he is slow to anger and that he is abounding in love. He cares about you. And 
difficulty doesn't mean necessarily that God has forgotten or left you. And I don't know who that's for tonight, but if you find yourself in a challenging situation, know that God has not left you, that He's compassionate toward you, that He cares for you, that He knows exactly what's going on, and He loves you, and He's slow to anger and abounding in love. The way that chapter 27 ends is this. I'm just going to throw up a verse on the screen for us. This is Paul speaking to the rest of the ship. And in chapter 27, verses 22 to 26, he says, But take courage. He says, None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me, and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. So he's basically, the angel appears to Paul, and he says, You're going to stand trial before Caesar. Caesar, you're going to make it to Rome. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. So he gives this encouraging speech to the whole ship. After they've lost all hope, it says in verse 21, Paul says, listen, take courage. An angel appeared to me in the middle of the night. And he said that I will make it to Rome. And not only will I make it to Rome, but the whole ship will make it there. This is an amazing thing. And sometimes we wish, God, would you just send an angel or speak audibly to me? Why doesn't he speak to me? But listen, God does speak to you. And I know this is very cliche, but he speaks to you every single day through his word. Do you know that the Bible says 365 times, do not be afraid? That's one, do not be afraid for every single day of the year. This is right here, God's love letter to you. God's word to you saying, don't be afraid. Now the Bible wasn't necessarily written to us. There was a specific people group and specific context to which God was speaking, but certainly the Bible was written for us, for our encouragement, for our edification. And so when God tells his people, followers of him, to not fear, I apply that to my situation as well, and so can you. Don't be afraid. Get in the word. Be encouraged by the word. So you you might not, an angel might not appear to you and speak to your situation like it did Paul. Or you're not, you might not hear God audibly speaking, but he's written your word. He's written his word to you. Sometimes I call it my, you know, our, we call it our word. Have you gotten into, into your word today, into the word? It's God's word written, written for you. So don't be afraid. So I love this. Paul first, he gives them the good news. Listen, take courage. We're going to make it to Rome. He gives them the good news up front, but then he gives them the bad news, the very last part of that verse. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. And so don't you do that too. You give the good news first, and then you kind of give the bad news alongside of it. That's what Paul does. He's like, listen, an angel appeared to me. We're going to make it. Everything's going to be fine. But we will be shipwrecked on an island, just, just for a moment. But hey, he gives the good news first, then the bad news. He says, take courage. None of you will die. Last night, an angel appeared to me. Everyone's like celebrating. He's like, but we will be shipwrecked. And you're like, oh, okay. We'll deal with that. So, number one, what do we learn from this? I've got three points for tonight. Your bad circumstance doesn't mean God has left you. And you have to know this. You have to hear this. Your bad circumstance doesn't mean God has left you. Don't uh, equate difficulty with abandonment. That's not what that means. Just because you might be going through difficulty doesn't mean God has abandoned you. Jesus said in the Gospels, not if you have trouble, but when you have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So we all will experience trouble. It's, 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 it's life. Following Jesus doesn't promise that everything will be awesome and fun all the time. We're going to experience difficulty. Paul was one of those people. 
But we can take encouragement from Scripture when it says, don't be afraid. And we know the end of the story. Your bad circumstance doesn't mean that God has left you. Paul's circumstances were awful, but God hadn't left him. He knew exactly where Paul was, and God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where you are. I'm always so encouraged by Psalm 37, 23, and 24. Write that verse down. Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The Bible says that he directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in every detail of their lives. He will never let them stumble, for he will take them by the hand. I love that. So be encouraged. God knows, and he delights in the details of your lives. Be encouraged by that. He will never let you stumble, for he will lead you and take you by the hand. So here we enter chapter 28. The island that they become shipwrecked on is called Malta. So Paul says, listen, we're going to make it to Rome, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Chapter 28 names that island for us. It's called Malta. Malta was a, um, a, a small little um, colony, a, a small little island. It was 60 miles south from Sicily, Italy, uh, Italy. It was a Roman colony. And so that's where we enter chapter 28. I just, just to wake us up for a moment, let's all stand for the reading of God's word. You can stand now. Chapter 28, we're going to read the first 10 verses together. So they're shipwrecked on an island called Malta. Everybody there? Acts chapter 28, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. It says, now when they had escaped, that means they, they escaped the, the ship, it's shipwrecked, so they escaped the shipwreck. And then they found out that the island was called Malta. Verse 2, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on Paul's hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Isn't that funny? So check this out. Paul and the rest of the prisoners on that ship... They shipwreck on this island called Malta. And the Bible says that the natives of that island, they show kindness to Paul and the prisoners. They make a fire. And as Paul's helping to kindle the fire, the Bible says that a viper comes out of the heat of the fire and snatches onto Paul's hand. The Bible says that Paul shakes off the snake and everyone thinks, oh, this is retribution for what Paul's done. Whatever this guy has done, justice is not allowing Paul to live. So, this viper being a poisonous snake, they think Paul's going to drop down dead. But when they see that Paul shakes off the snake and he lives, they change their minds to thinking that this man must be a god. This is amazing. And so this is what happens. Paul's around this fire, shakes off the snake. They think this man's a god. Then verse 7, it says, In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius. Now, listen, this is quick, quickly for the ladies here tonight. 
If you see a cute guy here at Young Adults, and you just kind of make up the nerve, I'm going to go introduce myself. And you, you see this cute guy here at Young Adults, and you say, hey, my name is Kate. I just wanted to introduce yourself. And the guy says, hi, Kate, it's so great to meet you. My name is Publius. Run. Okay, that is not a man that God will send into your life. Publius. I feel, what were, what were his parents thinking? This is just awful. So don't, don't, if, listen, also, ladies as well, you love your baby names lists, okay? Publius is not one of those names you add to the baby names list. Just don't do it. Unless you want him to be severely made fun of in school. Because there's like no good nickname for this guy either. Okay, let's just move on. Let's move on. We'll just, we'll just call him Mr. P. So, so, it says in verse 7, In that region there was an, est- an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Mr. P. was P- Publius. Who received us, so he's a great guy, he received us, entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. I just feel awful for this guy. Do you know what dys- dysentery, do you know what that is? It's diarrhea. Okay, so not only is this guy's name Publius, but his dad has bad diarrhea. And Publius is probably thinking, listen, this is what you get for naming me Publius, dad. So the Bible says that this guy's dad is sick and has a fever and diarrhea. And the Bible says in verse 8 that Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. You may be seated. So this is a very interesting passage here. After the people see that somehow, obviously we know how, God was supernaturally protecting Paul, these people, with their pagan mindsets, think that Paul must be a god, the people start to welcome him, and this guy named Publius, the leading citizen of that region, Mr. P brings Paul in to his dad's house because he says, hey, maybe because something supernaturally awesome happened to you, maybe you can do something for my father who lays sick with fever. So Paul goes into his house, and the Bible says that he prays for Publius' father, and he's healed. And so the Bible says that when, the, when word spreads around this region, it says that all who were sick then come to Paul, and the Bible says that Paul prays for them, and they're all healed. What I find so interesting about this passage is you never see or hear Paul complain about his situation, although it seems like he had every right to. All of the stuff that happened with the ship and the travels and the difficulty, shipwrecked on an island, bitten by a snake, we never hear once that Paul complains about a situation. God, I'm supposed to be in Rome. I'm not supposed to be here. I just got bitten by a snake. I'm too tired for ministry. Coming into this guy's house, I can pray for one guy, but the whole region? God, I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be in Rome. And sometimes when you feel like you're off course, like you're not supposed to be where you are, it can be easy to complain. 
And sometimes when you feel like you're off course, it might be exactly where God wants you to be. Because when you feel like you're off course, actually God foreknew everything that was about to happen. So when we feel like, God, I'm not supposed to be here, God knew. Nothing surprises the Lord. And so what you feel like might be off course, it might be that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And sometimes our situation stinks, just like Paul's. But instead of complaining about your situation, just ask God, God, why do you have me here? Things are difficult. I wasn't supposed to be here. I wasn't supposed to be at this school. I had different expectations. I wasn't supposed to be at this job. Why did I even get that degree? I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. God, I'm not supposed to be here. Paul, Paul was thinking, God, I'm supposed to be in Rome. Why are we making this pit stop here in Malta just so I can get bitten by a snake? So Paul may have thought that he was off course, but it was exactly where God had him for a specific purpose. You see, what Paul could have seen as an interruption in his journey to Rome, God used that pit stop at Malta for the healing of Publius uh, and his dad and many other sick people on that island. So point number two in our study today, what we might see as an obstacle, God uses as an opportunity. What we might view as, this is an obstacle. I'm not supposed to be here. This is just a stepping stone so I can get to here. We view a lot of things as obstacles. This boss, um, this job, this person. And we view a lot of things as obstacles. But we need to reframe our perspective. to not, not see every single bad thing as an obstacle. But see, God, in your hands, this can be an opportunity. So God, use it. I don't know why I'm here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. If I'm Paul, I don't want to be there at Malta in the wintertime getting bitten by a snake. God, I don't want to be here. But instead of viewing that as just an obstacle, I'm supposed to be in Rome. I'm not supposed to be here. View this as God in your hands, though I might see this in my finite perspective as just an obstacle. God, you see this as a greater opportunity for your glory. So God, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. That's okay. You can, God's a big God. He can take your complaints. So just air it out to the Lord. Don't air it out to other people. Air it out to the Lord. Complain to the Lord. He can take it. Say, God, I don't want to be here. I'm just being honest with you. This is an obstacle. But God, I know what your word says. You can take these obstacles. You can use them as opportunities. So here I am. I'm a vessel for you. Use me as your glory. And when you do that, it's just so much more freeing. You're actually there in the difficulty with this idea of like, there's purpose here. Because I don't know what God's up to, but he's up to something. So instead of viewing this as an obstacle and just complaining, I shouldn't be here. I'm supposed to be there. Just view it as in God's hand. This is an opportunity for his glory. I don't know what you're up to, God, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see what you're going to do. That's what happened to Paul. He wasn't supposed to be there. The ultimate goal is to be in Rome, but God used that as an opportunity to witness to Publius' dad, to heal uh, many sick people in that region, and no doubt, as Paul was praying for them, uh, in the name of the true God, these people were being exposed to the gospel, so this is an awesome thing. Maybe God has you under a boss that's so rude, But maybe it's for a purpose. And in the right time, God will move you on. Paul wasn't there forever. So many times we think like, this is it. I'm here forever at this job or in this career path. Like this is the rest of my life. And no, it's not. It's not. It's just a season. It's just a season. And in God's perfect timing, he will move you on. Just like he moved Paul on. It was just a pit stop. That wasn't his forever. And I've been there so many times in my life where, 
like, oh God, this is a difficult season. And we just kind of automatically think, this is it. And no, listen, God might have you just there for a season. And he's going to move you on in his timing. But while you're there, ask God, why do you have me here? Help me to see this as an opportunity, not as an obstacle. So quickly, as uh, I'm just going to summarize the rest of the chapter. Paul eventually makes it to Rome, chapter 28 says. And he's placed under house arrest with limited freedom. The Bible says that one of the Roman guards um, was watching Paul in this rented home with limited freedom, but that people could come and visit Paul. So Paul welcomed all the visitors, and he used this opportunity to witness to people. Pick it back up with me. Let's read the last two verses of chapter 28. Read with me verse 30. It says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No one forbidding him. So final point number three, talk about Jesus with confidence. So the Bible again says that Paul is here. He's under house arrest. He has limited freedom, but he is able to have guests. And so the Bible says that he welcomed all who would come in. And it says there, we just read it, that he was there two whole years and he received all who came to him. Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all Confidence. Everybody say confidence. No one forbidding him. Talk about Jesus with confidence. Paul could have used this as, a, as an excuse to say, listen, I'm under house arrest. I don't, have, I don't have opportunity to see people or talk to people. But the Bible says he welcomed all who, who came and he talked about Jesus. And I love that, but I love how it describes how he talked about Jesus. He, just, he talked about Jesus with confidence. With confidence. Some of us are even just right now like, I'm afraid to talk about Jesus. Get past that. Talk about Jesus. And then when you talk about Jesus, since you're already on the topic of Jesus, talk about Jesus with confidence and boldness. Just embrace it. Listen, guys, we don't have much time. I don't, have, I don't know how much time we have left. I don't know if Jesus is going to come in our lifetime. Um, I don't know how much things will get worse in our society. I've spent... Too much time contemplating, is now a good time to talk about Jesus? Should I talk about Jesus with this person or that person? And I've made all the excuses in the book. Because we're afraid, I'm afraid, of how people are going to receive it and respond. And the Bible says, I didn't read it, but the Bible says as, as fellow Jews came into Paul's house and as he talked about the gospel, some believed and were persuaded, others disbelieved. That's the Apostle Paul reasoning with his fellow Jews in the scriptures about who Jesus was as the promised Messiah. And some were persuaded and believed, but others disbelieved. So get beyond the point of not everyone's going to take it well. Not everyone's going to receive it. Not everyone's going to believe. Some will, but leave the results up to the Lord. That's not your job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict and to um, Persuade by the power of the Holy Spirit. But as best we can, reason with people using the scriptures. Talk about Jesus, but talk about Jesus with confidence. Just embrace it. Not everyone's going to like it or accept it, but I'm just going to be confident about Jesus. Because I'm, I'm done playing kind of both sides, kind of walking the fence. One foot in the world, one foot with Jesus. I'm just going to be all out for Jesus, and I'm going to talk about Jesus boldly. Like, who cares? Who cares what other people think? We, we get so wrapped up in what do other people think, and social media plays into that. 
because everyone wants to look good and, and show their best life. And so we're very cognizant of what are other people thinking about me? Just don't care. Don't care about what other people think about you. Talk about Jesus. And I'm, I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm talking to you in this. Because I'm a pastor and you might think, oh, it's easy for you to talk about Jesus with anyone. Well, I talk about Jesus mostly with you, with, with other believers, with church people. And when I get out into the world and I'm talking with unbelievers about Jesus, I get, I get anxious. I get anxious. And so the Lord's been working on my heart and stretching me in this area as well. Talk about Jesus with confidence and boldness. And just be like, listen, I don't care what other people think. And I love that about Paul. Talked about Jesus with boldness and confidence. And that's why he would write in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who would believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. He says, listen, I just have to resolve in my heart. I'm just not going to be ashamed anymore. How does Paul's life end real quickly? The Bible doesn't specifically say, but he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He writes to his friend Timothy. We met Timothy back in Acts chapter 16, remember? Timothy was one of his traveling companions. And Paul is anticipating that his life is soon going to end. And he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all, that's you, who have loved his appearing. So he tells Timothy that he's anticipating his death. The Bible doesn't directly say how Paul died, but Eusebius, the ancient Roman historian, or the, the early church historian, he claimed that Paul was beheaded at the hands of Nero, the Roman emperor. And so our best guess is, based off of church history, that Paul was beheaded under Nero. At that time in the AD 60s, severe persecution was going on. Nero blamed the Christians for a fire that he started in the city. He used the Christians as a scapegoat. He leveled the city of Rome with a fire because he wanted to rebuild the city. This is the emperor Nero. And he uses the Christians as a scapegoat. So many Christians under that time, Paul most likely, Peter as well, who church tradition says was crucified upside down, they were a part of this severe persecution because Nero used them as an excuse for the fire. And people believed it. And they blamed the Christians for the fire that was started. So Paul most likely was beheaded at the hands of Nero. And we know that Paul was ready to die. And I'm very encouraged by this. Acts 21, Paul says, I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus told Paul when he appeared to him on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, he told Paul that he would suffer much for the name of Christ. And based on what the book of Acts records of Paul's life, we can assume that Paul died declaring this gospel. That it's through Jesus that we can experience true freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from death. It's by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that Paul took that message to his death. And it's, it's encouraging for us. You know, we look around in our world and it can be really easy to think, well, we're not at that point. Well, not yet. We're being persecuted as believers in other ways. Sure, but the early church here being persecuted very severely, even their lives being taken. 
Paul says, listen, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I'm ready to experience the suffering that comes along with attaching myself to the name of Jesus. Can you say that? Can I say that? Can we say that we're at a point where we welcome the suffering that comes with following Jesus? We welcome the name calling. We welcome the labeling. I I don't need to tell you that our culture is very anti-Bible, anti-biblical morals, anti-biblical values, anti-Jesus. And so when you associate yourself as a Jesus follower, you'll be labeled, you'll be called different things. Are you ready to, to take that? Are you ready to suffer and associate with the name of Jesus? And I think that Paul is our prime example of what it looks like to truly suffer for the name of Jesus, saying, I'm not only ready to be thrown in jail, but I'm ready to give my life for the sake of the gospel. And I hope that we can all say that as well. As we thumb through the book of Acts, we saw all of these early believers willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. I hope that we can, we can be there right, right with Paul. And then when we're done with this life and we move on to be at home with Jesus, that he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. To me and to you as well. Amen. And Lord, we close there and we just um, pray that, that you would help us, Lord. It's easy right now when things are comfortable to say, yeah, I, I would suffer for Jesus. But when things get uncomfortable and we're faced with persecution and we're, we're suffering for the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help us all, Lord, to boldly stand, to not cower, but like Paul, to continually, with all confidence, preach the message of Jesus and the cross. With boldness, with confidence, Lord, help me. Lord, help us all as we go about our week, as we encounter other people in our workplace, at school, with other people, Lord, would you help us just to always have a spirit of readiness, ready to talk about Jesus with confidence. I want to also pray for my brothers and sisters here in this room who maybe are going through a difficult time and they have been They've been tempted to kind of dismiss the Lord and kind of say, Lord, you you don't care. You're uninvolved in my life. I pray that you would encourage them right where they are, that they would know tonight that difficulty does not mean that you have left them, but rather it means that you want them to depend on you all the more. Lavish them with your love tonight, with your peace, your presence, Lord. In your word, you tell us that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and our counselor. So would your Holy Spirit minister to them and their situation right now? Whatever situation it is, whether it's challenging or difficult or overwhelming or burdensome, Lord, meet them right where they are. Encourage them and minister to their hearts. Lord, if any of us are just in a situation or a season where, Lord, we've just become restless And we've been tempted to complain about it, whether we work for someone who's just rude and not nice, whether we're in this job or at school or whatever it might be, where we're just restless and we're like, God, I I shouldn't be, I'm not supposed to be here. Help us, Lord, just to seek you in that situation and ask, why do you have me here, Lord? Help us not to see it as an obstacle, but as an opportunity for you to use us for your glory, God. Help us to seek you in the midst of it, Lord. And in your timing, you will move us on. But help us just to be sensitive, to look to you, to seek your face always, Lord. 
to stop looking around, to stop being discouraged by a situation, but to be encouraged because you're in the midst of it and you're with us every step of the way. You're guiding us, holding us by the hand like you say in Psalm 32. You delight in the details of our lives. You know every single hair that is upon our heads, Lord. You're involved, you care. So help us, Lord, to see our difficult situations as opportunities for you to use us, God. Use us in mighty, powerful ways. Oh, God, we love you. Thank you for Paul, for the early church, for the book of Acts. What an encouragement it is, Lord. It puts just this fire in my heart to live for you, to walk with you with just sincerity, throwing off sin and coming to you, Lord. Just if, if, if you're here tonight and you just need to confess sin to Jesus, just confess it to him right now, just you and him. Just get right with him. Say, Lord, forgive me and help me to run the race with perseverance and sincerity. Just whisper a prayer to him right now. If you're going through difficulty, just whisper a prayer to him right now and say, Lord, meet me in my difficulty. Help me, Lord, encourage me. Just say, help me, Jesus. If you're in a season, you don't even know why you're there at that job or something is difficult in your life. Say, God, why do you have me here? Reveal your purposes and plans to me. Help me not to complain to other people, but to seek you and use me. Just say, use me, God. Use me right now. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, my friends in this room. Go before them, encourage them, fill them full and fresh with your Holy Spirit. Continue to fan and to flame that fire that you have set in their hearts that they might live for you, that we might boldly and confidently live for Jesus. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people together said, Amen.